Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, welcome. I'm Lisa Senecal, Executive Editor with Resolute Square. And I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Strilla with the Armed Forces of Ukraine and a contributor to Resolute Square since October. It's good to be here with you on the show, Lisa. Yeah, really excited to have a chance to talk with you, Sarah. I'm coming from Vermont. Obviously, you are not. As you can see behind me, kind of an implication as to where I am and an indication. I'm at the Territorial Defense Forces Media Studios. We're in Kyiv. It's where I'm now stationed after being brought off the literal line of contact, or what we know as the zero line, where I had been fighting against the Russian invaders. I'm now fighting in the information warfare space and paying a lot of attention to what's going on, not only along the front lines, but across the globe when it comes to the evils of the Russian Federation. So this is a reasonably new role for you, but you've been in Ukraine since early last year. Just for people who don't know any of your backstory, can you just give a little bit of background of what role you had when you got there and how this has evolved for you? It's really crazy, Lisa. And, you know, I love having you as an editor because you sometimes keep me focused on what's happening back in the United States. And why I say focused on that, I've been here in Ukraine for 19 months, uh, over 550 days. I've been here with two brief sojourns back to Washington, D.C. for meetings in Capitol Hill in May and December. So ultimately, I have been here for quite an extended period of time. I arrived one week after the full-scale invasion, and I have no intention of returning to the United States until we reach victory. I have a three-year contract with the armed forces, and so I'm here to stay. And I believe I've been working with you and the team in Resolute Square since October of 2022. So we're coming up on a year that I've been working with you and coming up on over a year and a half that I've been in Ukraine. You had frontline experience. You had zero line experience. Can you just talk briefly about what that was like? And and it had a rather dramatic end. Well, we'll call it a pause because I ended up going back to the zero line after the injury. As you were implying, something very dramatic did take place. I was injured in battle, and by chance, my commander wanted to check me for a concussion. So ultimately, he went ahead and put a camera on me so we could understand if I was cognizant and cogent of what was around us. And the battle was still going on. There I was bleeding, and I gave quite what we'll put as the promo calling for the deaths of Putin and Progrosian. So we're at 50% right now. And I promised that they would die before we would, specifically me. And thus far, we're looking pretty good on that. After 16 days in the hospital and a couple of surgeries, I ended up getting discharged and I was then deployed to the Russian border. My unit spent two and a half months as the unit closest to Russia and the north part of the border. And therefore, I got to see every day, wake up and, and look at the enemy's land and, and monitor what the enemy was doing. 
And that ultimately led to me being reassigned to Kyiv to take part in analysis, information warfare, and utilize my battlefield experience with my prior experience in analytics and communications. So we're going to end up talking throughout the episodes of this podcast, sort of local level for you, what's actually happening on the ground in Ukraine and why that is on a much more macro level, incredibly important to the overall Mm -hmm. battle to defend democracy around the globe. Can you talk to us about what Ukraine's role is? Why, Why should people in the United States be as concerned about total victory as you describe it for Ukraine? Ultimately, in the position I have now, which is a spokesperson for the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, that's about 250,000 soldiers who would be the equivalent, a very loose equivalent to what we would know in the U.S. as Army reservists, who ended up being activated and deployed, as we saw during both uh, the battle in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan, sorry, war in Iraq and war in Afghanistan. And as spokesperson for the Territorial Defense Forces, one of the key goals has been to answer that question. Why does it matter? And it matters for several poignant reasons. The first is that Ukraine is fighting, yes, its own war for liberty and liberation, its own war to guarantee the freedom of the Ukrainian people. However, it's also fighting for democracy for all of Europe. Ukraine is a European nation with European democratic values. Russia has made it clear, not just for the last 19 months, but for decades, that they wanted to create what is known more broadly as Ruski Mir, or Russian world, Russian society. And part of that was to reestablish the Soviet empire and the Russian empire, dating back from uh, not just the Bolshevik revolution, but even before that. And... Ultimately, it's not only allowing European democracy to be saved, but Ukraine is also stopping a global conflict and Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation from mutating into a Russian-driven world war. The goal of Putin and Russia is so deeply evil. It's it's really shocking in what they're... It, it is a full-scale genocide. It yes. is not right. Not just coming in and wanting to take the territory over. This is this is genocidal. And one of the most dramatic examples of that for me that I think re- can really hit home for Americans who haven't experienced war. But a lot of us have experienced being parents and Russia is stealing the Ukrainian children. Can you Talk to us a little bit about that. I know some children have been brought back, but the numbers missing are devastating. To answer that question, it's going to take two parts. But the first one is a very simple statement. Russia is committing genocide against the Ukrainian people, committing genocide against Ukrainian culture, and maybe most surprisingly, committing genocide against their own Russian soldiers When Russian soldiers are sent here as invaders, they're being mowed down. They are being killed in extremely high quantities. And it's something that the world understands from a numeric standpoint, but the Russian society is going to deal with it now for generations. 
we don't want vengeance in Ukraine. If every Russian left tomorrow, we're happy to make certain that they leave and we'll wave at them. We're not going to shoot them in the back. Ultimately, though, that's up to Vladimir Putin. When it comes to the case of the children being kidnapped, I, the world already understands that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. The Hague indicted him for kidnapping Ukrainian children. More than 500 Ukrainian children have been killed by Russian terrorism, more than 1,000 injured, and 19,500 plus have been kidnapped to Russia, with nearly 400, 384 as of two days ago, having been illegally adopted by Russian families. And when we negotiate through NGOs and through back-channel government discussions with our ombudsman or the minister of restoration, whoever it may be, that's negotiating to bring these kids back. The reality is simple. It's going to take a long time to bring back 20,000 Ukrainian children. In the end, we call on our global partners to stay strong and step up, increase sanctions, and tell Russia that genocide and kidnapping simply won't be tolerated. This is not some battle between two former states of the Soviet Union. This is a battle, which as you just previously mentioned, Russia being the evil side, is one of good versus evil. Ukraine represents all that's good with democracy and with the human freedom. Russia is about slavery, enslavement, and the darkness of Satan. That's an incredible number, and and it's this abduction of children, obviously horrific for the children and and lifelong devastation for them, even if they are able to be brought back to Ukraine and, and rejoin their families. But is this being used as a weapon of war, sort of the way rape is used against women, that, that it just has this destabilizing, not just for the parents, but for the larger family, for the community that is missing its children. They they do this for larger purposes than they just want kids in Russia. At the beginning, I would say, when I say beginning, at the beginning of the full-scale invasion, I would say that that was absolutely a proper observation and that it was invasion by fear. That's why I reference Russia as a terrorist state. Russia is a terrorist state. Now, the Ukrainian people have began to show such resolve that they are no longer afraid of what Putin's doing next, whether he threatens nuclear blackmail, he is carrying out extortion through the grain markets and starving the global south, not just starving Ukraine, but starving the global south, starving the world. When it comes to the children, he put himself into this corner, and we saw where it's led. Vladimir Putin couldn't even fly to South Africa without risk of being arrested. Vladimir Putin lives in the equivalent and sometimes lives in an actual bunker. And so his attempts at ruling through fear and ruling the Ukrainian people by fear not only backfired, just like it backfired when he directly his actions directly led to the expansion of NATO, but now the global community does understand Putin is a kidnapping war criminal. But still, we have to deal with those who empower Putin as well. And that's one of the issues that we want to continue to press at the global stage. 
It's not just sanctioning Putin or his inner circle. It's making sure those who are the Russian propagandists, Maria Zakharova, who's the spokesperson for Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Solovyov, Skabeva, all of them are war criminals. There's no one innocent in Russia who backs Vladimir Putin. If you back Vladimir Putin, you are just as guilty as everyone else in the Russian Federation for the crimes that are being committed against Ukrainians. You mentioned that this is this tactic is backfired. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the resolve of the Ukrainian people? Because they're clearly, and we've heard many times, Putin has this idea that if he can drag this out, that eventually the Ukrainian people are going to be exhausted. There won't be enough people willing to fight any longer. The civilian population will want to have peace above all else and be willing to make the sacrifices that Putin wants. That doesn't sound like what it what is happening in Ukraine. Absolutely not. There's not going to be peace at any cost. And while you and I have discussed many times when it was time for my column to be submitted, when I was writing regularly for Resolute Square before we moved into this uh, form of media, we would discuss get us the weapons now. Ultimately, I make that same call to our partners. We need the weapons now, the long-range weapons, which will speed up the defeat of the Russian Federation. That stated, this war is going to be decided by Ukrainians, for Ukrainians, no one else. And right now, the war is still polling at above 90% support for return to the country's 1991 borders and to continue on at any cost. And so ultimately, there's been no softening and resolve of the Ukrainian people. They're tired and frustrated of having to deal with Russia, but not having to understand that a return to the country's 1991 borders is the only outcome. Because if we don't push Russia out, have a full deoccupation, institute President Zelensky's 10-point peace formula, and reach these legally recognized borders, Russia being the terrorist state that they are, run by a cabal of war criminals, will continue to carry out terrorism against Ukrainian civilians. And that means Ukrainian children as well. So I'll wrap up today with one more question. In the the last week, there was a shakeup at the top in Ukraine with a new minister of defense. And I saw in one of your tweets, there's a significance to where uh, this new uh, head of the defense ministry comes from. I'm glad you brought up that question as to what it means to have changed our minister of defense. In fact, it was just a couple of hours ago that the former, now former minister Reznikov's resignation was accepted by the Rada, which is the Ukrainian parliament. And we anticipate the acceptance of the incoming minister to happen either this evening or tomorrow. Now, for the American audience to understand The Minister of Defense does not play the same role as the Chief of the Pentagon would. We answer directly to our Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, which is at this time General Zeluzhny. And then General Zeluzhny answers to President Zelensky. So the Ministry of Defense does not play a direct role when it comes to our command. However, they do play a extremely important role when it comes to international negotiations, when it comes to procurement, and when it comes to guaranteeing 
that we have the supplies necessary to carry out this liberation. And so why is the new minister so important? He's a Muslim, a Crimean Tatar, having been appointed by a Jewish president. He's also a man who is without challenge when it comes to ethical transparency and is one of the fiercest anti-corruption crusaders that has been in government in decades in Ukraine. He was recently in charge of the state state company services where he was tasked with selling off shares in privatization of state-run enterprises and did so with full transparency to the point that I expect him to be approved in parliament with maybe 75 to 80% of the vote, if not more. This also sends a message to our partners. And the most important message is this. The return to the country's 1991 borders includes Ukraine. The post you asked me about and the last episode of Russia Hates the Truth that went up states clearly, Crimea is Ukraine. There will not be any trade-off of the Crimean Peninsula to Russia in exchange for liberation or deoccupation elsewhere. It will be the 1991 borders. Ultimately, how we get there is up to Russia. We'll do it by force or we'll do it by diplomacy. And by putting such a strong leader into the role of the new Minister of Defense for Ukraine at such a critical time, I think our partners understand that, and more importantly, the enemy does as well. Sarah, it is always incredible to have an opportunity to talk with you. The work that you are doing there, the work you're doing for not just Ukraine, but for democracy is so critical to the democratic way of life around the globe. And I I hope people in the U.S. truly understand that our fight for democracy is being fought in Ukraine right now. And total victory, as Sarah says, is essential. There are no options to complete and total victory in Ukraine. And Sarah, you're an important part of that. So thank you so much. I want to give a quick shout out to the American public. The American taxpayers have made this impending victory possible. So while they may hear me say, get us more weapons now, it's to save lives and it's to speed up the inevitable victory. We would not have been able to do this without our American partners from both sides of the aisle. And I just want to say thank you very much on behalf of the armed forces of Ukraine in my official role as spokesperson, but also the fact that I've never been prouder to be an American citizen, knowing that the American voters and taxpayers are supporting freedom so far away. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, follow Sarah on Twitter, Sarah Ashton LV. I'm at LC Senecal. We're both all over uh, various different social media platforms. So, so hunt us down. We'll put information on the page and how to follow Sarah. And thank you again, Sarah. Uh, Slava Ukraini. Here I am, Slava. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And The Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to The Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. 
once more for hanging out at the Zero Line.